Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Guess I'm just a good man. Well, I'm all right. Man lives in the sunlit world of what he believes to be reality. But there is, unseen by most, an underworld. A place that is just as real, but not as brightly lit. A dark side. Well, hello, and welcome to a very, very spooky, very, very scary edition of SFP now. And joining me today is my good friend T. Sean Hardy and his wife Linda. So, you know, it, it's great having these guys back on again because we've not we've not done one of these in over a year. So it's great cool. to have you guys back. How you doing? Good, good, good. I was just wondering if I should uh, play a little bit of a joke on you after you do the introduction. Just not say nothing. <laughs> Yeah, I mind. kill you. Yeah. <laughs> this T. Sean Hardy is fictional. <laughs> <laughs> we made him up. Um, That's right. And I'm going to open a beer here. And he just did that for effect. You know, I'm yeah, just going to vomit him like that here. So. <laughs> so Ian, do you have a beer on the go? Yeah, I've got a. Um, I'm, I'm drinking my uh, my favorite beer. Mm-hmm. It's a whole garden. It's mm-hmm. a Belgian beer. It's a wheat cool. beer and it's white. Um, cool. And it's got a. Um, it's it's about I think it's about a pint and a half in this bottle. Huh? And it's four point nine volume. Ooh, nice. So you know, I'm just gonna be pissed on the one beer. So because <laughs> yeah, as, as a Canadian, I'm a bit of a fine connoisseur of uh, well alcohol in general, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I like I like if I'm gonna have a beer, I like a good strong one. I like I like either a Belgium or a German beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of the time, I opt for Belgium and I opt for a whole garden, you know, whole garden white beer. Um, oh yeah, because it's it's just um, it's just my favourite beer. What can I say? Um, but today we're going to be doing a, a Halloween special, and we're doing top ten monsters. Um, top ten what? As, uh, Drinks. <laughs> uh, our top ten drunken monsters. That's right. Um, as in things you see when you're very drunk. Ooh. <laughs> and 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 I'm going to start. Okay. Linda. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, she's, she's your top ten. She's she's number ten. <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> um, but you know, top ten monsters, and the, you know, um, to make it easy on us all, I've kind of figured we'll make it across, you know, across all genres. So we can even include politicians if we so wish, but we won't because okay. that's uh, kind of cheapens it. But mm-hmm. you know, we'll make it across on like science fiction, fantasy, and horror. So. We've, we've got our, our, our genres covered here, and you know I'm I'm kind of like um, I'm kind of like reluctant to start. Who wants to start? Who wants to come up with the first one? You want to I'll do I'll start. You want to start, Linda? Okay, go Ladies ahead. First. All right. Not that I'm much of a lady, but <laughs> okay. Number ten, Teletubbies. <laughs> scare the shit out of me. They're creepy. Like how do you, how do parents let kids watch that shit? <laughs> 
scary. Like, honestly, sit down and watch an episode. They're nasty little creatures. I've never sat down and watched an episode. I can't. They're scared. They scare me. Have you ever seen Teletubbies before, Ian? Uh, I, I try to avoid them. They're because they're scary. No, 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 because they're just stupid. I mean, you know, I, I can think of a great movie premise for Teletubbies. Teletubbies with machine guns. <laughs> that would be good, Pinky, yeah. Pinky. You know, Coming to a theater near you. <laughs> Soon. Death by Teletubby. Is that even on the air anymore, is it, or... Probably not, because they were so scary. Actually, um, I think I think uh, CBeebies still play it every now and again. Um, Alright, that was my ten. Wasn't there one called Tinky Winky? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it was like the gay Teletubby. Uh, Should we say gay? Is that politically correct? I don't I, know. I know, I thought they were all gay, but that's... I mean, not, not, there's nothing wrong with that. Not wrong being a gay Teletubby. <laughs> did they say he was gay because he wore purple? I don't know what's wrong with the color purple. I don't know if I he like really... I like Whoopi Goldberg. What? <laughs> Gay taggy tubby. Mm, that's a you know. Mm, that's that's kind of does, does, does gay tag, taggy tubby wear never a leather wearing gay tell he's he's a what? shades of teletubby. Shades of teletubby. You see him walking out wearing the leather and macho macho man. <laughs> you know, Tinky Winky needs never goes. Woman, you do as you're told. Now, sit. Tinky, tinky Winky said so. <laughs> Go get me my money. <laughs> That's enough on television. Okay. Yeah, because we're we're starting to scare Linda now. <laughs> well, I guess that's that's the whole theme. But hey, happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah, and that, that, that's it. That's it. That's the show. It's all been encompassed in one choice: the Teletubbies. So, Teletubbies. Um, you know, we we we'll be off um, um, to try and avoid the gay Teletubby, and we'll see you next year, folks. That's a wrap. <laughs> So who's next? Well, you know, uh, number 10, I'd say, you know, uh, the number 10, I kind of like the idea of the uh, skeleton warriors from Jason and the Argonauts. Now, from the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts, the mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Turn back, Jason! We're trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece, Jason and the Argonauts, caught in the clutches of the towering bronze giant Talos, battered by treacherous falling rocks, taming vulturous harpies, facing the dreaded seven-headed Hydra. Battling the merciless army of skeletons, Jason and the Argonauts, the search that became a legend. I think those guys should get together, you know, you know, gun themselves up, bit of lipstick, you know, bit of hair, get some guitars and form a rock band. <laughs> yeah. You know, if they put on a little weight, they'd probably look like the Teletubbies. Probably <laughs> <laughs> <I mean>, would. <what? laughs> It wasn't, you know, for me, it wasn't so much that they were quite kind of scary. I just kind of thought they looked kind of cool. And this this day and age, it's uh, it's the end thing to be... Um, Emaciated? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking of a different word, but... Uh, 
anorexic. That's it. Oh, this, you mean you mean skinny as fuck? Yeah, in this in this day and age, it's 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 the the end thing to be anorexic. So, uh, but the Skeletons from Jason the Argonauts, you know, not only because I think they make a great looking rock band, if if you if you can hand them up a little bit, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just something like you know, although they weren't real and it was quite obvious that they weren't real. The way that mm-hmm. Harryhausen got them to be quite expressive with the with the swords and, and everything uh, kind of made them a little real for me. Mm. Yeah. Can you put lipstick on a skeleton? Um, um, who is it? Mary, Mary Kate or Ashley Olsen? They they got they wear lipstick. So. <laughs> that was nasty. <laughs> so should I do my number ten? Yeah, I think I think you better have before we get the two side Well, actually, it's funny that you mention that because my number ten is the seventh voyage of Sinbad. It's the Cyclops journey to a magical time when demons and heroes battled for the golden treasures and human spoils of forgotten kingdoms. Kill, kill him. Thrilled to the story of a legendary superhero who fights through all the torments of hell to save the woman he loves from the world's most powerful sorcerer. This is Sinbad's greatest adventure. The seventh voyage of Sinbad. See the spectacular battle between the one-eyed Cyclops and the fire-breathing dragon. The incredible magic of Dinorama recreates the enchanted, breathtaking adventure that could never be told before. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. So basically, your monster's the one I'd get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was... Well, see, in, the, in that movie, like, Linda and I just watched watched this the other day. We had a little bit of a Ray Harryhausen marathon, and uh, I remember... Uh, when we were watching it, I, I, it's surprising how much of the movie I could actually remember. And, and with the Cyclops, you kind of you kind of feel sorry for him a little bit. But it's uh, you know, and then it's it's very easy to get to get that uh, that movie mixed up with with the other one that came a little bit later on because. Sorry, were you talking? <laughs> she's she's trained to tune me out when I talk. So, but but the Cyclops, that's that's uh, that stood out to me a little bit. And it's like what you said. Ray Harryhausen was was uh, you know he was very good at what he did. He uh, he was very good at making you actually feel something for these creatures. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, he was very good at making you making you feel for the character. And and even to this day, I mean, effects are you know CGI is like really cool today. But you know you can still see a lot of times where it, where it looks fake. It doesn't look real yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know when you watch one of those movies, it's a different type of you know way of doing effects, but. It's still really cool, and he was really good at his craft. Well, there's some people that just come along and are just ahead of their time in the genre that they're that they choose. Yep, and he was one of them. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think also the CGI. Uh, there's no real emotion coming from C, from from any CGI effects unless you've got an actor doing the mm-hmm. performance, um, and that that was that was a case proven with the. Uh, you know, with with the Lord of the Rings and the King Kong film um, that Peter Jackson did um, when when they had Andy Serkis do 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 the uh, do the emotive uh, things for the uh, for the CGI. Um, mm-hmm. But when when you don't when you don't have the benefit of that good actor giving that really good physical performance, it doesn't really sing as well. 
True. So should we go to number nine? I, I think we should, and um, um, it's back to Minda. Frankenstein is my number nine. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. <laughs> to shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! I just, I don't know. I just, there's just something about Frankenstein. Is that because you married him? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think you, did you dress up as Frankenstein when you, you were going to? I had the bolts in my head. Yeah. <laughs> what, you I don't know. I just, I, I just kind of always felt sorry for Frankenstein mm. in the original movies. Yeah. And, I don't know. Yeah. yeah, he was like he was. He was, you know, he was put together, and and he never chose to be, you know, in that situation. And it's almost like it was like watching a child relearn how to live again. And and you know, there was like when he takes picks up the girl and he throws her in the water. The only re- reason why he does it isn't because he's trying to kill her and trying to be evil. He's he's just playing. He's just playing, and she takes a flower and she throws it in the water, and and he picks her up and he thinks yeah. it's just part of the game. And there's an you know, innocence to Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and that's due to the fact that, you know, Boris Karloff was like, you know, awesome at what he did. I mean, he brought it really across that, you know, to, to put a lot of feeling into this character. Well, most movie monsters today don't have any innocence no. at all. No. And and to go back to the classics, <laughs> you know, they have to be they they've gotta be on my list somewhere. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's that's my number nine. Number nine is Frankenstein and it rhymes. Yeah, I'm, I'm so cool. It's, it's, yeah, the, the, the great thing with Frankenstein is, uh, you know, not only the innocence, but there's been so much. There's been so many things done with him over the time, or, or, or over over a period of time, and you know, it's not like with vampires. Like the done with vampires, it's sort of like um, they, they've kind of like made vampires less scary by making them more human and showing them in relationships and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Frankenstein, you know, he could have a relationship anyway. Mm. You know, it was just sort of like uh, when when it, when he happened to have a relationship, it just usually didn't end well. Um, mm-hmm. Not because of the person he became involved with, but because of other people's reaction to him. Mm-hmm. And you know, but there's been some great stuff done with Frankenstein. You know, uh, DC Comics did a, a comic book series called Frankenstein: Agents of Shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly ended. Um, a couple, sadly ended last year, I think it was. Uh, but it was a brilliant run, and, yeah. and it basically had Frankenstein working for this uh, organization called Shade, uh, which was made up of different monsters, and they um, and, and they kind of like uh, they kind of like took on other monsters to protect Earth from mm-hmm. from, from monsters that were bent on on, on destruction, sort of thing. And it was yeah. kind of cool. It was a kind of cool book, and Frankenstein was kind of like their top agent. Actually, I'm not sure if it's this year, or if it's in next year, but there's a movie coming out called I Frankenstein, uh, cool. which is cool. basically set in the present day. It's basically what if uh, Frankenstein fought out and he came, you know, he, he um, came out in in the present day. You know, how how would he how would he sort of like uh, exist in 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 this current environment? 
mm-hmm. thing, and, and it's and that's actually based on a comic book series as well. And it's it's kind of a it's kind of an unofficial sequel to Frankenstein. Oh, cool! So, that, I think that's out early next year, and uh, um, Aaron Eckhart plays Frankenstein. Oh, right on. Aaron Eckhart played, he's the guy that played Two-Face in uh, Batman The Dark Knight. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. And personally, he was like the best thing of Batman Dark Knight. Who, who's on to number nine now? Is it, is it you, Sean? No, it's you. I think it's you. Oh, God, it's me. Um, Do you not have a list? I don't know. I'll make it up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that part out. Sure, I will. <laughs> um, Gongen from Lord of the Rings, I think, is quite, quite, quite a good monster. In the lands of Middle Earth, legend tells of the Dark Lord Sauron and the ring that would give him the power to enslave the world. Lost for centuries, it has been sought by many and has now found its way into the hands of the most unlikely person imaginable. Sauron needs only this ring to cover all the lands in darkness. What must I do? The ring must be destroyed. The ring must be cast back into the fires of Mount Doom. There is evil there that does not sleep. Sauron's forces are already moving. They will find the ring and kill the one who carries it. No, Frodo! Come on, Frodo! I cannot do this alone. You know he's going to do the wrong thing and steal the ring and stuff like that. But you kind of mm-hmm. feel sorry for him as well because he's become quite addicted to this ring. Whereas you yeah. know, you know, night night without it is just so like uh, not the same. It's just so like become so 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 uh, enamored and addicted to to that ring. Yeah, it's it's almost like an alcoholic. It's he, you know, you you kind of feel bad for them because once they get hooked, it's they they almost really have no control. Yeah, I mean, you know, you think. You'd think um, you think he, you know, so he's so addicted with the ring that he's not even he's not even thinking straight. Whereas yeah. if I wouldn't keep the ring, I would have got something pierced with it. <laughs> and you would never see the ring ever again. <laughs> it takes me back to my scary number one. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no way I'm getting the fucking Prince Albert. <laughs> no way. <laughs> You know, if if I want my eyes to water, I'll just get a pack of opal fruits or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, and, and that's something that I think you know it's kind of important um, in monsters. I think you've got to have something about them that you know you can relate to. Yeah. Uh, because if there's nothing about them that you can relate to, they're just not scary. True. 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 And that's that 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 brings me to my to my number nine because I can really relate to this one. Um, 1984 Slimer from Ghostbusters <laughs> Ghosts Hello Ghostbusters They're real You do? They're mean You have? They're here
Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. Ghostbusters. Starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world this summer. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. Now, I don't, I don't think he was actually called Slimer until in the cartoon, I think. I, I don't know if they called him Slimer in the movies or not. I can't remember. But uh, I think it was the very first ghost that they happened upon, and I think it was in a library or something. Yeah. And, and, and he slimed them, obviously, but uh, yeah. So that was, uh, that's that's my uh, my number nine. And when are they coming out with number three, anyways? Um, you know, as far as I know, I've not heard anything about number three in about, oh, about a good three, four months. Yeah, because there was there was all this all this talk about having Bill Murray back on because he said he didn't want to do it, and then then he said he was going to do it, and then I, yeah, you're right. I haven't heard nothing in like a long time. Don't even know if they're filming or apparently a script was already written. Yeah, yeah well, they've, they've rewritten. They've been rewriting the script, but you know, it's kind of it's kind of weird because uh, there's quite a lot of news to go on it for a good few months, and uh, we picked up pretty much most of the stories on it. Um, mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Pulse and tried to follow it through as best as we could. Then it went quiet for a while when when it was announced that Bill Murray wasn't doing it, and then then another story broke and another and another that he was and then he wasn't, then he was, then he wasn't. You know, I, I think you know if you're gonna do it, just do it without Bill Murray. It won't be the same, and I won't go out and watch it because for me, the what made Ghostbusters really was Bill Murray. Yeah, you know, yep. his character is, is just so like irreplaceable. You know, yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I just thought you know Bill Murray and uh, his early films such as Ghostbusters, Stripes, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, th- those films were awesome. Maybe they can replace him with Bill Mummy <laughs> from Lost in Space. <laughs> it's it's no longer Bill Murray. It's Bill Mummy as Bill Murray. <laughs> you know, he shed quite a few pounds and he's looking quite gaunt. <laughs> And he now plays guitar. Yep, he's now a rock star. Yeah, he, he is a bit of a rock star, star Bill Mummy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's got a band and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we go to number eight? Um, I, I, I think I think we are due to go to number eight, and it's back to Linda, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so number eight on my list is... The Shop of Ian's Oh, Mothra, awesome. Who is Mothra? What is Mothra? Why does all the world fear Mothra? They found him on an island in the remote Pacific, a monster cave creature discovered by a group of the world's leading scientists, worshipped as a god by the tiniest, loveliest women in all creation, sacred beauties of a lost tribe. See how he stands unscathed by tanks, artillery, dive bombers, rockets, all powerless against his devastating death ray. See how he eludes capture in his impenetrable cocoon, which no human force can open. See him unleash, with a single tremendous breath, the Earth's most fearsome hurricanes, wrecking trains and ships, uprooting bridges and buildings, wreaking havoc on land and sea, thrilling you, chilling you, holding you spellbound. What is the secret of Mothra? Insatiable, indestructible, indescribable. The screen's most fantastic dramatic spectacle, Mothra. 
Mothra. Everything is just, you know, Godzilla, Godzilla, Godzilla. But you know what? I like Mothra. I love the Mothra movies. I like Godzilla versus Mothra. I like the music with Mothra and little Hawaiian girls singing their cute little song. And I don't know. I always liked Mothra. I always felt sorry for Mothra. Mm-hmm. And uh, me sitting here with, with the big hair, you know, I felt sorry for Frankenstein. I don't feel sorry for the Teletubbies, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of have a list of creatures that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling sorry for on, on, on some scale, but but yeah, definitely. I just I don't know this big giant moth, and it's just a really cool. It's just a really cool movie monster. Mm. Okay, so is it me again? You again? For me, uh, this is one. It's funny story connected to this one actually. Uh, when I was about nine, I was going to stay up late to watch uh, my first horror movie. Mm-hmm. And my sister had uh, paved the way for it by scaring the shit out of me before before it even started. Mm-hmm. And the movie in question was Curse of the World Werewolf, um, the one with Andrew Reed. It came from a land of brutality and evil. It came from terror and fear. The curse of the werewolf that was laid on a baby who grew into a man possessed by a monster. I remember sitting through it all and I was fine, but then afterwards I ran upstairs and locked myself in the target and started crying and wouldn't come out. Because <laughs> my sister had done such a great job of scaring the shit out before the movie even started. And, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as the movie had ended, I just suddenly started thinking about it and just scared myself siggy. Um, mm. But... You know, the Wolfman, again, it's another one of those things where you kind of feel sorry for the uh, main character. Um, mm-hmm. He's been cursed, he's been bitten by a werewolf, and, um, and and all of a sudden he become, you know, he becomes this uh, Wolfman, and the only thing that can prevent him from changing is love. Oh. Yeah. Anyone think it was done in the 1960s? All he needs is love. Oliver Reed was a scary guy anyways. I mean, even, like, in, in, the, in the movie Oliver... He was, he was in that movie, played the bad guy, yeah. and he, he scared the living yeah. shit out of me. I thought he was going to come and get me out, out of my bedroom late at night and, and steal me away from my parents, right? After I seen that movie, that's... He was a scary guy. He was a good actor, too. Mm-hmm. Because it was believable. Yeah, yeah. You weren't watching an actor at that point. No. Yeah, you... that, that's, that's what I like. That's what I like. I like to be taken away. I don't want to constantly think the entire time I'm watching something that I'm watching an actor in a show or in a movie. I want to think that I'm watching whoever they're portraying. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it's not Keith Sutherland. Um, you know, Keith Sutherland is Jack Bauer and has been from. Oh you know, yes, it is. You know, <laughs> um, you know I, I think this, you know it's a famous drinking game where you, you where you uh, where you take down a whole beer for every time it says "damn it" in a single episode. So does that count when you say it? Because I got a beer here right here. Get it. Have anything? So somebody needs to drink up. <laughs> I guess that's a hit. I gotta drink up. But yeah, I mean, you know, so like uh, Reed, when whenever he played a thing, and he played it to the absolute hell. Um, but that's my number. Is, is that are we on number eight or number seven? Uh, number eight. Yeah, I gotta finish my number eight. I guess. Um, my number eight is the cannibalistic humanoid <laughs> underground dwellers <laughs> from Judd, Judd 1984. Beneath the city of New York are living catacombs, an endless maze of subterranean tunnels, unfit for anything human. 
unauthorized for anything experimental. Hold it! There's something moving up ahead at the top! And unlikely to bring anyone down there. So... They're coming up. Chud. Keep off the street. And try to hide. But remember, the dark is their place. The night is their time. And tomorrow, the only things living in the city of New York will be Chud. Chud. Cannibalistic. Humanoid. Underground dwellers. Chud. They're not staying down there anymore. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but uh, I just I remember that the you know the underground yeah. dudes being like really cool. And uh, Linda and I first seen this when we when we first started seeing each other. We watched this, and, and both of us absolutely loved it. I mean, it's basically you know. These underground dudes that, that are, you know, you, you don't know exactly what's going on with them and everything. And, and up to that point, to me, underground people were something that you seen underneath, I don't know, it was New York or something with a, with a hairy dude named Benson. <laughs> From uh, Beauty and the Beast, the, the TV with really, show. With really sappy music, like, Yeah, reading reading poetry. I don't think any of these fucking scabby dudes read any poetry. Oh, Benson. And the new version would be, Shut up, bitch! I'm trying to read you some poetry. Played by Mr. T. Show it with a sensitivity, damn it! I'm going to read you some poetry, fool. <laughs> so what do you remember about this movie, Linda? You said you were talking about it the other day. So, um, Actually, the funny thing is, I kind of remember the, the, the cover on the poster. Like the, the cover poster was the, the manhole cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just because I had all those old movie posters. We mm-hmm. used to go to the store and there would be like a... I think you could buy them for like a dollar. Like, yeah. You know, they had taken them down and we're on to the next um, stage. And you didn't know what they were. Like, you just you had to open them up or, you know, you just paid a dollar and you grabbed it. And, uh, of course, you know, me being raised on horror, science fiction, and raised by apes, um, <laughs> I would, you know, I'd go down with my $5 and, and I would wallpaper my entire room with these old posters. And it didn't matter if I'd seen the movie or not. But most of the time when I would buy one of those posters, that's when it would entice me to go rent it yeah. if I hadn't seen it because the poster was so cool. So actually, I think I actually had the poster before I actually saw the movie. Oh, cool. Yeah. But yeah, it's, and it's just cool. I mean, it's cheesy. It's fun. And, you know, if, if you're any kind of a fanatic, it's, it's got to be on your list of have seen. Yeah. Yeah. I've, it's ages since I've seen Chud. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Yeah, the second one was, they should have called it Turd. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't, it, it wasn't anywhere as close to being like what, no. what the first one was. No. I mean, there's there's so many movies in history, and it, it's funny we mentioned Frankenstein, because The Bride of Frankenstein was actually a really good sequel to, to mm-hmm. Frankenstein. But, you know, in most cases, when they make a part two, I mean, we watched Creepshow 3 last night, and it's... You know, it's it's actually the writing isn't that bad. It's not that that good of a movie, but the writing isn't too terrible. But it's not creep show. Two hours of my life I'll never get back. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but most sequels are are crap. And and uh, but 
Chud to me wasn't. It was a it was a fun movie. Have you even had a sip? Yeah, I gotta I gotta I gotta Seriously? I gotta drink my killer clown. <laughs> and talking of King of Clouds, um, we're on number seven now, right? Yeah. Yep, and I think um, it's back to oh no, it's yeah, it's back to Linda. Yep. Yeah. Um, my number seven is the bunny in quest for the holy grail. Once in a lifetime, there comes a motion picture which changes the whole history of motion pictures. A picture so stunning in its effect, so vast in its impact, that it profoundly affects the lives of all who see it. One such film is... Very good, thank you. Yes, thank you. Next, please. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Now, for the first time on the widescreen, digitally remixed with a new full wraparound stereophonic soundtrack. I liked it the way it was. I prefer the noise of blood. Shut up. I didn't know what to expect when I saw that movie, and they're walking down the hill. Oh, it's a cute little buddy. <laughs> I never laughed so hard in my entire life. Like that was—I think that was probably one of the first times I had like a really good belly laugh because you, you just—it's a bunny. You don't expect it to rip off a head. That scene in that movie is kind of like a one-shot deal. Yeah. Because I've seen it since, and the second time I saw it, I was just like, "Wow, it really wasn't that funny." Mm-hmm. For some reason, I don't know, maybe, but it was—it was great because I, I got to experience it the first time. But yeah, it's, it's one badass bunny. It, it was totally unexpected because you know bunnies are cute, mm-hmm. and you don't expect a bunny to attack and you know rip at the throat and <laughs> and uh, just you know and Monty Python. I mean, bunnies taste mm-hmm. good too. You know, they taste good. <laughs> what, humans or bunnies? <laughs> no, bunnies. They, they taste really good. Okay, that's my number seven. All right, I need to make another picture. Yeah, we we got to make more killer clowns. <laughs> okay, well, uh, my number seven is... Um, <clears throat> have, you ever seen the, have you ever seen the Kevin Smith movie, Dogma? Dogma, sorry? No, I, I've heard of it, but I, I've never seen it. You need to go, you need to go see it. That's why I had to come down here this morning, man. That's why I had to miss my cartoons. You call me, you tell me it's important. We're going home. Take it, man. I quit leering at me. People are going to think I just broke up with you. Two fallen angels have just discovered a loophole that can get them back into heaven. Outstanding work! All they have to do is get to Red Bank, New Jersey. There's only one problem. Stop a couple of angels from entering and thus negating all existence. I hate it when people need it spelled out for them. Now, I'm to charge you with a holy crusade. One person has been chosen to stop them, but she won't have to do it alone. I'm Jay. This is my head of a life mate, Sam Bob. You gotta be kidding me. Prophets. I'm not speaking. What about sex? No sex. There's two angels and they're, they're trying to, you know, God's kind of gone missing. He's gone absent without leave um, while, while playing, playing, while tanking bowling or something. And, and, and these two angels um, who were um, exiled from, from heaven, they're trying to break back in. 
Uh, it's Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Linda Florentino, um, right, written by Kevin Smith, directed by Kevin Smith. But there's this sequence in it where they where they go to a, a strip club. They come they come face to face with a shit demon. What is that thing? An excremental, the Golgothan. A what? A shit demon. <laughs> a shit demon. A shit demon. <laughs> and it's so, it's so I think I, I think I've met the shit demon before. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. <laughs> a shit demon. <laughs> so that's, that's your number seven. That's the shit my demon. Number seven. The shit demon from from Dogma. I think I want my number seven now to be the shit demon. <laughs> You can't see the sequence from it, but yeah, my uh, number seven is the uh, shit monster or poo monster from Dogma. <laughs> it's a good choice. So, should I go to number seven? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I was just drinking uh, a beer. Seven is, I think they call him Bad Ash from Army of Darkness. In an age of darkness, may God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong, something's amiss. At a time of evil, you shall die! When the world needed a hero, the swallow us all, and I'm about to die! What it got was him. Groovy. You know, your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Trapped in the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Now, let's talk about how I get back home. Foretold by a mystical book. Within its pages are passages that can send you back to your time. Forewarned by a wise man. You must recite the words, Klaatu, Berata, Niktu. I got it, I got it. Fulfilled by a wise guy. Klaatu, Berata, Niktu. When thou misspoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. <laughs> now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, you got real ugly. Sound the trumpets. Raise the drawbridge. Drop the Oldsmobile. From Sam Raimi. Oh, that's gonna hurt! Director of Darkman. Comes Army of Darkness. They live. They breathe. They suck. Army of Darkness. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we talked about you know Army of Darkness? And I, I still to the to this day, I'm still baffled why they made another, another uh, Evil Dead movie and didn't do another another addition to add on to Army of Darkness instead. I mean, did, did you see the the remake? I did actually. It wasn't bad, but just like uh, it, it, you know, it just didn't seem ahead of its time like the original Evil Dead. Yeah, I mean, the, but but wouldn't you have rather seen like you know like a, a, a part two to Army of Darkness, which would be part four to Evil Dead, I guess. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd rather have seen a part two to Army of Darkness uh, with Bruce Campbell back as Ash. Am I going out on a limb by saying this? That you know, if they made another part to Army of Darkness, they probably would have had to spend a lot more money than what they spent on making a remake. Um, probably true. Yeah, because I mean, there was there were so many things they did with Army of Darkness. I mean, you you, you could tell that that movie, even though it wasn't the, the world's most expensive movie, they did a lot of things that that you could tell cost a little bit of money. I mean, I was reading up on it the other day, and they said that uh, when they dropped the car, you know, make it look like it's dropping out of the air, the very first scene, basically. Um, what they did is they had a crane come in and do it, and apparently the crane wasn't big enough, and the crane flipped over, I guess, and they had to bring in a bigger crane to pull the first crane out <laughs> and then drop the car again. So that, that scene was uh, shot twice, I guess. And they just do that with CGI today. Yep. But yeah, you know, so I can't be a darkness one hell of a film. Um, I've got it on DV, I've got it on Blu-ray here, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, I think once we're done, we're done with recording this, I might I might stick it in. So I've not seen it in a while. Yeah, well, I mean, we have it here too. And then, no, another thing too, Bridget Fonda was in that. She she played a small role. They they had more scenes that they were going to try to to put in there, but apparently they it just didn't fit. So a lot of it got cut, and she ended up because she played Linda. In that, I mean, the, the the actress that played the original Linda, because it was like a flashback, I and mean, obviously it wasn't the same one. So, but um, yeah, so they they stuck Bridge upon in there, and, and uh, it's just a. Well, my name was very popular in horror movies. Your name was very popular in horror movies, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, so like uh, you even have a famous actress, uh, Linda Blair. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, true. So, so uh, Sean, does, does, does your wife's head spin round 360 degrees? Only when I don't do the dishes on time. <laughs> that figures. Or when she's drinking King of Clowns. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently she's way ahead of me. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're drinking beer, too. I'm just drinking Killer Clowns. You're just drinking the hard stuff, yeah. All right. <laughs> Okay, so are so we on to number six? or on to number six, I think. Okay. Well, in keeping with the theme of Killer Clowns, uh, my number six is Pennywise. Cool. From It. From It. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? Supposed to take stuff from strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise the Dancing Clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. <laughs> Key, right? I guess so. I gotta go. Go? Without this? My dude! Exactly. Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh. You want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons, too. All colors. Do they float? Oh, yes. They float, Georgie. And when you're down here with me, you float, too! 
I used to be a really big Stephen King fan. And I say used to be because, and, and, and in Stephen King's defense, I think it just got to the point where I read so much, it's the same with John Saul, I read so much that it just became predictable in, in this, it's a, it's a style of writing and it's, you know, um, you can almost see the outcome of different aspects and I don't, I don't know, with Stephen King, I just, I just kind of, as a fan, felt um, a little betrayed in the sense that I just felt that he would break the side of a cereal box to make a buck. Mm, yeah. and, and maybe not. Like, I mean, that, that was just my perception at the time. It was just, it was book after book after book. And it was just, you know, you, you barely got one finished before another one was on the shelf. But see the yeah, but see the problem with with the whole Pennywise thing is I agree with you. I mean Pennywise was oh. was an awesome character and everything. But the problem is he established this awesome character, and, and then, then they didn't use it. Yeah, they, for the for the second part, they basically they turn him into a, like a big giant like rubber spider. rubber spider, and then and they yeah, kick the spider. That was terrible. Pennywise, I mean, for anybody who's scared of clowns, mm. I mean he he was he was the ultimate killer clown. And actually, a couple of years ago. Um, we had gone out for Halloween and a friend of ours, unbeknownst to me, was walking around the bar with a killer clown mask on and I didn't know who it was and he kept coming up to me and he kept following me around the bar and I gotta say, in the end when I found out who it was, which was Adam, yeah. I was just like, oh, thank God. But it, it, it freaked me out because it's, it's, the, it's the teeth, it's the white makeup, it's the bright hair, it's, you know, the sinister eyes. Tim Curry. But, I mean, Pennywise was a scary, scary movie monster. And Tim Curry's been put in a lot of makeup over the years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tim Curry doesn't need a lot of makeup, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was probably one of the last Stephen King creatures that I got to, to see before I went down the non-Stephen King path. Mm. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think it was probably around about the, the last one that I, you know... You know, I never, I've never really read any Stephen King because I just don't, you know, I bother. You don't know how to read? <laughs> no, I just, I just don't really, uh, there's nothing really about horror that's sort of like, uh, gets me to want to read it. I tend to read more, you know, more, more action adventure, um, novels and, um, you know, sort of like, uh, fantasy novels, um, like Dresden Files and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I've never really, you know, I've never really been drawn to reading horror, but I have seen, you know, Stephen King, the Stephen King uh, films, and I think it was uh, the last half, halfway decent one, with the exception of the second part. Mm. Mm. You know, because the first part of that was scary because all the tension was building, and all the mythology was being set up, and when all that mythology was being set up, you saw like on the edge of your seat. And I remember one particular instance in that first part where they're all sat in the room and they're all talking and they're, they're all talking about their fears of, the, of, of uh, Pennywise and stuff like that so they're not quite sure what's going on or, you know, and whatnot. And the door slams and I jumped out of my skin. And, and, and it, was just, it was just something really innocuous like that, a door slamming that just made me jump. However, when I seen Pennywise, I just wasn't that freaked out by it at all. Because mm. I'm, I'm not really, um, you know... It's once once to show the monster that that's when that that's when my uh, suspension this, this suspension of of the of the leaf you know get get you know 
it's, it's suddenly sort of like uh, woken up. Mm-hmm. I think once I see the monster, I think, ah, fuck it, it's not scary. Mm. You know? And a lot, a lot of monsters today are all CGI, and it's just not scary at all. Mm. You know? But it's the actual build-up and the actual sort of like uh, people talking about the monster and... Uh, and, and all the veiled stuff that's what sort of like uh, gets me on the edge is the, the, the build up yeah yeah and I mean Stephen King I mean, there was a point there where he was doing two part movies like all the time it's like the movie and, of the week yeah and, and it, even like the Langoliers I mean he was you know the first part really good excellent second, second night yuck yeah, and that kind of turned me off a lot of Stephen King stuff because I mean like I said when I very first Stephen King book I ever read was The Shining and I was hooked and then I moved into uh, Night Shift and uh, Skeleton Crew like the books with the short stories those are amazing stories mm-hmm. if you don't want to read like an entire horror novel grab the books with like the just the short stories I've read the Batman books um, which is the uh, which which was you know short short mm-hmm. stories that I did under the name of Batman and I read I read The Running Man which was the one which was one that the uh, Schwarzenegger movie was based off which is nothing like the book yeah which is absolutely nothing like the book the book's actually far far more sinister and I'm not guess over yes, it's more is, urban actually. and more real whereas um, in the um, in 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 the, in, in the film, they they actually made it more like a sort of game show, and they, they, yeah. they you know, and and made it quite gory and stuff like that in parts, obviously. But it it kind of like uh, it was nowhere near as grisly and as nasty as a book got. Yeah, wasn't Richard Dawson in that in the movie? I think so. Yep, survey says we're nothing like the book. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I'm for early Stephen King. I kind of like it. And, and project, and in all fairness, and, and I mean, I haven't gone back to it. I mean, you know, life takes over. You work full time. You don't really have time to sit and read a book. And and I'm sure there's some great Stephen King. I'm not ragging on Stephen King, you know, because for a lot of years, I mean, I had when you and I met, I had every Stephen King book there was to date mm-hmm. when you and I met. Are you talking to me, or are you? <laughs> I'm talking to you. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking to the audience. <laughs> well, I can't have the shit monster again from the shit demon from from a um, thing because I've already had it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, every number, shit demon, shit demon, shit demon, and number one, shit demon. <laughs> oh dear me. Um, this this one's gonna be a bit weird, but I'm gonna say Alice Cooper.
stage show, which I've, I've actually seen live um, at Manchester MEN a few years back. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in that, he kind of encompasses every single monster that there is. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, you, you could pretty well play almost any Alice Cooper album and play it during Halloween and it would fit. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, the, and, and specifically the Banger of the White Fry, which is kind of like a Renfield story. That uh, is an awesome, awesome, awesome song. That's, that is really cool tune and and it's it's funny because a lot of people don't know who Dwight Fry is. I mean, he was in he was in Dracula, he was in Frankenstein, he was in a bunch of sequels that is yeah you know, a bunch of the sequels to Frankenstein as, as different characters. Um, he was in actually played a, a small uh, role in um, The Invisible Man too. Well, I, I just uh, I, I just think Angus Cooper qualifies as a monster. Yeah. You know when 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 he's doing his stage show or you know he just qualifies as that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think my favorite Angus Cooper album again and this kind of fits in with themes of monsters as well quite well. Uh, is um, an album he did in in the 1980s uh, when he came out of rehab uh, called From the Inside and basically every song on this album is based on the inmates cool and you know there's quite quite a few songs you know and they're all all from the inmates perspective like uh, you know um, a, a preacher um, you know, he's done, done a song called Nurse Rosetta about a preach. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he's a bit of a pervert. <laughs> and well, wasn't there, there like a big, uh, there was a song on that that was like a big hit. I can't remember what it was now. I think it might be How Are You Gonna See Me Now. Yes, that's it. Yes, that's it. Yes. Um, and, that, that, and that's quite, you know, again, that, that, that song like uh, portrays sympathetic side of, of, a, of a monster, I guess. Mine was Constrictor, and I think maybe that was because that was when I actually got to see Alice Cooper live. Mm. Was when Constrictor came out, and he actually came to town. I, I only got to see him uh, a couple of years ago for the first time at the NEM Arena um, in Manchester, and I thought it was a good gig. It was a great gig, and you know he was operating, he was working the audience really well. But the net down of it was is they didn't put the big screen up so you could see what was going on. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. had it been Take That or some shitty boy band or 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 or, uh, or uh, Britney Spears or some some shite like that. They would have put the big screen up, but because it's Alice Cooper and you know he's no longer so like as mainstream as he once was. Although he never was mainstream, but you know you get my yeah, right. they, 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 you know, they didn't put the big screen up, and I was really pissed off about that. Yeah, he's a legend, and I mean, and they, they should treat it as such. I mean, you know, it's it's. I see. I seen an interview the other day with Alice Cooper, and he said that uh, he said in his day when he did what he did on stage, it shocked people. He didn't he didn't really kill these things and stuff like that, but he said he he just make it make it look like he did, obviously, and and he would shock people. He said, but today he said you pretty well got to really kill somebody on stage to shock them. Yeah. He said, you know, the way it is. I mean, you look at Marilyn Manson. I mean, he's cutting himself. And, taking a leak on people and everything and it's like you know you don't hear much about Marilyn Manson anymore but no but I mean and I mean I enjoy you know Marilyn Manson music but I mean I, I would have been terrified to go to one of his concerts like they say like you know look out if you're in the first like six rows yeah that's you know, you know spitting on the crowd and you know I was like no if I'm spending good money I don't want you to spit on me <laughs> I'll spit back <laughs> Mm-hmm. So that was my uh, that was my number six, I think. Okay, so we're on to my number six. My number six. My number six is the Gill Man from the Creature from the Black Lagoon, 1954. Science couldn't explain it, but there it was, alive in the deep, deep waters of the Amazon, 
a throwback to a creature that had existed a hundred million years ago, immensely strong and destructive. A woman's beauty, the bait that brought it out of its lair. See underwater thrills never photographed before. See titanic underwater battles never dreamed of before in this most terrifying of the science fiction adventures. It was the very first time that I had any kind of experience with, with uh, 3D. I was 10 years old. Uh, they advertised that they were going to play this movie on TV. And I can't remember how they did it, but they said there was a certain way that you adjust your television set. And if you got these glasses that they were giving out these stores, um, you can actually see 3D. Well, I went back and I adjust my TV the way they said, and I wore the glasses, but it didn't really look like 3D to me. But at the time... It was just such a cool thing that it was all over TV, you know, you get to see 3D. I watched the whole movie and and I still loved it. I still, I was thinking I was seeing 3D, even though I wasn't. Yeah, reaching by the time it was done. <laughs> no doubt, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really cool. And, and plus, too, I have uh, the, uh, what is it, the Universal Horror Movie Legacy Collection, I think it is. I, I have all of it except for The Creature from the Black Lagoon. It's the only one I don't have. And I looked, looked online for it, and it is, it's expensive. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's, that's my number, that's Thanks, my number six. It was, it, it was really cool, really cool to see it back in the day. And, and they made, I think, two sequels to it, which weren't too bad. And, you know, and I think back in 1954, filming underwater and everything, I, I think that was like a, a huge thing to be done. But, you know, it's, it's uh, today, I mean, it's nothing. And I imagine there's people that would look at this and say, you know, well, it's crap and everything, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people look at these movies and think that they, you know, these are crap and everything, and they don't realize the time that they were shot and well, that's just it know. they're looking for the, the stuff that you you know you go today and you see like the cgi and the special effects and, and you know people can't appreciate what was done in 1955 or yeah because there was know. no cgi it, exactly. was, it had you to know, be done you have to put yourself in the shoes of moviegoers in 1955 yeah and apparently this guy had to hold his breath quite, quite a bit <laughs> Yeah, those, those shoes would be quite stinky and uh, moldy by now, though, wouldn't they? Uh, yeah, I, th I think they would, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that's, that's my number six. So are we good to go on to number five? Or? I, I think we are, because we've just done six, six, six. So we're... Oh, nice catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's not much of a segue for mine. <laughs> my number five is sharks. Sharks in general? Well... Specifically Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. None of man's fantasies of evil can compare with the reality of jaws. Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus, Jaws. 
see it before you go swimming. I was 11 when I saw Jaws. I was seven. So, so now when I see Jaws, I, the fear of an 11-year-old comes creeping back and grips my heart. <laughs> and another shark movie that has kind of regaled on the same thing was Deep Blue Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, when that shark comes towards the window in their little underwater bubble that they're in and opens its mouth and the teeth drop down, and and just, it takes you back to that fear of Jaws. And now you're ruining the whole movie for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no. if you haven't seen it by now, you know, for me too, I mean, you know, living by the ocean, so going to the beach was a big event. Yeah. So, you know, after Jaws came out, you went to the beach, there wasn't really a whole lot of people in the water. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't think like, hey, we're in Nova Scotia, it's a little too chilly for great whites. It's just, you know, and even if you're in the water, you get to your waist and then you duck under your shoulders and all you hear is that music going through your head and you can't get to shore quick enough. <laughs> So yeah, my number five is 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 those two sharks. Is, is movie sharks because they are monsters. They're monsters in real life. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm going to save us some time here because that was also my number five. <laughs> Very good. Cool. <laughs> um, and I, I hadn't planned it. It's just that I was I, I was thinking my next one before you even opened your mouth and said sharks was going to be Jaws. Yeah. You know, Cause it's um, it's something that's very real. You know, even when you see a. Uh, See, see these wildlife documentaries when they're dropping people down in cages to, yeah. to look, at, look at the sharks you're thinking, shit, there's no way I'd do that <laughs> you go back to the other ones, I mean, chances are you know, we're not going to run into Frankenstein or, you know, we're not going to get our throats ripped out by a bunny or you know, we're not going to see, like, killer clowns in the gutters the or cannibalistic humanoids exactly. underground dwellers but Jaws is, is, a, is an actual real threat to people mm-hmm. And that's what makes that so scary, that yep. and the creepy music. So since you guys got both the same one, should I go to my number five? I, I think you, I think you should. Um, I, I, bet, I guess, guess you're going to choose Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to choose puppies. <laughs> Those little sad eyes. <laughs> no, my, uh, my number five is Leprechaun from Leprechaun. <laughs> the Luck of the Irish. Is being packed and shipped to a little town in South Dakota whose luck may have just run out. something there was an unknown actress in there at, at the time by the name of jennifer aniston and it was her very first feature uh, film you know yeah and it's also the, the the fear of showering naked with an apricorn you know there's you, mm, you still want to go there that's scary that's, that's some scary. freaky porn there boom chicka wow wow oops i dropped the soap <laughs> Let me magically get that for you. Look, it's I, magically I'm not, delicious. I, I'm not going to bend over, dude. You're nearer. <laughs> <laughs> How would you like to experience me pot of gold? <laughs> 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 oh, 
Oh boy. But yeah, that was that's uh that's my number five and I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. I mean they they made I think what five or six sequels to it. Um mm-hmm. what was the last one? Leprechauns in the Hood or something like that? I don't know. I mean I've never actually seen them the Leprechaun films, so I got you know I've always wanted to, but it was so like uh, when they came out I was still living my folks, yeah? Mm-hmm. And if I thought a film like that home, my 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 uh my late mother would have saw like, Why are you bring that crap home for? <laughs> You know, yeah. um, so when when we did high DVDs, it, it was rules. Everyone had to be able to watch it. Ah, but uh, I know that the, the funniest part I, I remember that is when um, what he, he trips one guy or something, and the guy's going along, and he goes to trip again, and something and Leprechaun goes, "How's the leg, buddy?" Or something. Because well, I think he put an axe through it, or something. I don't know. He broke his leg, or has a big gash on it, or something. And he kicks him in the leg and says, "Hey, buddy, how's the leg?" It's just <laughs> yeah, a little bit of trivia for you here. You know, obviously it was Warwick Day. It's actually played Leprechaun, yeah. But yep. uh, the guy that was doing the stunts for it was actually uh, someone we actually interviewed on on one one episode of SFP now uh, a couple of years ago when we was on the when, when we used to have the other Nipson feed. Marty Kneber, he's a board dwarf guy who's been a lot of a. Uh, he played, I think he played Mini Me in Austin. Oh, but, okay. Uh, okay. He, he was a. Uh, he was actually the stunt double. He did all the stunts um, for Warwick Davis in the Leprechaun films. Oh, that's cool. Before he went on to become an actor, and he's also the fastest. Um, he's also the fastest dwarf you know, to uh, run <laughs> run a hundred meters. Now this is true. He's the fastest. Is the fastest uh, to be politically challenged, politically correct here. He's the fastest vertically challenged guy. <laughs> <laughs> to run hundred hundred meters, you can do it in thirteen seconds. <laughs> no, we say I can run faster than, than the fastest guy on the planet if he's chasing me. <laughs> oh, dude, you know this guy. This guy can run hundred meters in thirteen seconds. That's faster than most people can run it. Well, I guess I think I'd like to see that. You'd see this little leg. <laughs> It'll look like something out of a, out of a, one of those old movies where they everybody's going really quick <laughs> when, oh, when, when they speed up the film <laughs> yeah true enough so should we move on to number four or I, I, th- I think we should move on to number four and it's back to Linda my number four is Pinhead oh Hellraiser there are boundaries we have yet to pass a box not just any box and forces we have yet to learn it opens doors. Doors to the pleasures of heaven or hell. His brother's bride. <laughs> her darkest secret. <gasps> where desires no man should seek. I'll do anything you want. Anything. Find evils no man could imagine. <laughs> Julia, the blood brought me back. I need more. The border both have crossed, but neither can escape. Every drop of blood you spill puts more flesh on my bones. She doesn't even want to leave the house. Really? It's like she's waiting for something. Now, in this house, the unseen is uncovered, the unknown is unbound, and the unholy is unleashed. Give me that box! Give me the box! 
Caesar. Satan's done waiting. You know, the Cenobites are all really cool. Clive Barker does a wonderful job with his creatures. Um, but once you get into the second story of Hellraiser, and I, I find that movies with Clive Barker, once you get into the sequel, it's more about the character. Mm-hmm. So then you get to know their story, how they became what they were. Mm-hmm. So, you know, number two kind of dives into how Pinhead became Pinhead. Yeah. And, you know, how he was just this ordinary man and then he became this monster but Pinhead as the well, quote unquote leader of the Cenobites um, yeah pretty hot for a monster <laughs> <laughs> you gotta you know and, and, it's, and uh, for me too voice has a lot to do with characters mm-hmm. voice can be very very captivating mm-hmm. and I mean Pinhead had some, some great lines you know um, we have such sights to show you and yeah, we'll tear your we'll soul, tear your soul apart. apart. And, yeah. and I mean, Doug Bradley does an amazing job. And actually, we just watched, um, and, and you know, this kudos, kudos to Doug Bradley and, and the whole crew, because um, we had watched this interview. And he said at the rap party, um, everybody was ignoring him mm. because nobody knew who he was. Nobody had seen him out of makeup. Mm-hmm. And so nobody knew who he was because everybody just knew him. They knew Pinhead. <laughs> they didn't know Doug Bradley. And, you know, if you're walking down the street, unless you know what Doug Bradley looks like, you're not going to say, oh, my God, you were Pinhead. <laughs> yeah, that's, yep. that's just it. You see, if I ever wanted to get into acting again, um, I think I'd want to play monsters and stuff. So I wore a lot of makeup and uh, didn't look like me. Mm-hmm. And that way I could sort of like, play all these parts, make money, and then walk down the street without the press hassle in me. Yeah, still have your privacy. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, you know, that that's the only terms and conditions I, I do to come an actor. And plus, you know, wearing all that cute makeup, it makes your job easier as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, cool. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, so I can... Hellraiser, I, I just watched it for all the sets and nudity and all the freaky shit. I wasn't really, uh, I wasn't really paying attention to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and see, you know, Clive Barker's right into that stuff. He's, he's right into, you know, making everything, you know, sexually active. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he's, I think he's a bit masochistic, though, isn't he? As well, and the pinhead, body piercing, yep. and you know, stuff like that. Yep, and he, he's the first one to say that. I mean, that, that he is that way, and and you know, he's right now. He, I don't know if it's because all the smoking he's done over the years, oh, but he's yeah, he, he can barely understand them now. And and I mean, he's his mind is just genius for me. Yeah, I don't I agree. Am, I don't agree I, with everything he says, but I, I mean, I'm a huge Clive Barker fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So was it, that that was number five, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it number was. four. Number oh, four. Number four. Okay, because. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because me and you agreed on number five is Jaws. Yes. Okay, well, uh, mine's uh, my number five, four is quite easy, really. Uh, critters. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. <laughs> they hide in small places. This phone is dead. They like the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way, and they're hungry. Critters. They bite. I remember seeing the first time, thought, this is just a rip-off of Gremlins. 
but it wasn't mm-hmm. a ripoff of Grand Mims because the critters were actually uh, more sinister and more more nasty and you know and mm-hmm. and, and just as funny. <laughs> the first critters movie was you know was fantastic fun, and then they mm-hmm. made the second one and it kind of like uh, it kind of like uh, veered off into a uh, total crap. <laughs> Pardon me, that sneeze monster right there. <laughs> Are we ready for me to go to number four? Yep, we are ready for you to go to number four. I've got my new critters. Alright, my number four has already been talked about because Linda had it. It's 1931 Frankenstein. Now, Frankenstein uh, was actually, I mean, today when we look at Frankenstein, we think of the monster, but in the original, Frankenstein was actually the scientist. Scientist, yeah. Yeah, and the monster was, was uh, it's funny in the credits. Because, you know, even in the, the original that I have here, it says for the monster, it just has a question mark. It doesn't say that it's played by Boris Karloff. They just put a question mark in there. Um, like we were saying before, it also had, you know, Dwight Fry in it. And basically, that's about all I have more, more to say about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's your number four. It's that's my number song. four, yeah. Uh, we, we kind of had this conversation around like number eight. <laughs> Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. That saved us quite a bit of time. Uh, so uh, we're on to number three. Okay, my number three, and this is probably going to be pretty short, sweet, because I don't want to ruin it for anybody who doesn't know this story. Um, since we've expanded this to include other genres and other types of genres, my number three is Mr. B from the Clive Barker book, Mr. Be Gone. Mm-hmm. The book is brilliant. It's terrifying from the very first sentence. Which is? Well, the very first sentence of the book is for this book. So what does that tell the reader? Because at that point, you're like, oh shit, what do I do? <laughs> and it's, it's written brilliantly because, and I know I'm a Clive Barker fan, so, you know, it, it's for, for me, it's, it, there's a lot of Clive Barker. Um, but... The character, the the Mr. B in this book, is a demon. And you're not reading a book. The demon is speaking to you. It's it's not even like a diary. You're not reading the diary. It's a conversation that's being had. The demon, the Mr. B is talking to you. It's as if, if I look at you and I say, you know, you open the page, it's like, burn this book. That character is speaking to me, and that, that character continues to speak to you. And you alone, because it's only your eyes on the page. And there are some some pretty terrifying, you know, and you get a couple of pages in, and, and you know, you get to the next turn of the page, it's like, are you still reading this? I told you to burn this book. You know, so, and it's, but because it's written in that aspect, you don't want to put it down. I read, I read Mr. B in like three hours. I could not put it down. Mm-hmm. I was terrified because of the threats, because you're threatened mm-hmm. by this book. You're threatened by this character, by this demon. And but, but you have to see how it turns out. You have to keep reading. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I, I read it cover to cover. The, the, I, it was a little disappointing, actually, because I, I, I like a book to, disappointing in the aspect that I like a book to take time. I like to absorb it. And, and I read it so fast because I just, it, it kind of took control of me. And it was just like, my, my entire world didn't exist. My, my entire world for that three hours was Mr. B. Cool. So, and, and it, I mean, any Clive Barker fan or anybody who wants to read horror, if you haven't read Mr. B Gone, 
Cheese, go get a coffee. So, so it's he, amazing. So he rocked your world. He, he did rock my world. More than I rock your world. Right now, yeah. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> What'd you call me? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. My number three is Medusa. See, now I was going to put that on my list. From the uh, Clash of the Titans. The myth. The magic. The mystery. The majesty. Destroy Argos! That loose the last of the Titans. Metro Goldwyn Mayer presents Clash of the Titans. The good. The evil. The danger. The daring. How may a mortal man face and defeat the Kraken? Clash of the Titans. The combat. The courage. The splendor. The spectacle. Clash of the Titans. Starring Harry Hamlin as Perseus, Judy Balker as Andromeda, Burgess Meredith, Maggie Smith, Ursula Andress, Claire Bloom, Sean Phillips, Flora Robeson, and Florence Olivier as Zeus. Before history, beyond imagination, Clash of the Titans. I mean, was, wasn't it kind of a, a tragic story? Didn't she... She get turned. She get turned into that. Um, I can't remember what the story was behind that, but I, I don't know. And I just watched actually Clash of the Titans the other the other night. There, it, it's just it, it is. It's kind of a tragic story. So there, there is an aspect, but there's also, you know, and she's got every reason to be pissed off. But you know, it's just the, you know, I, I just think that sort of like image is kind of uh, scary in a sense. Huh? Oh yeah, well no, nobody wants to be turned to stone. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of puts a damper on your night when you're, you know, you, you, especially if it's a blind date. I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I <laughs> you know, when you when you show up to a blind date, you know, the first thing you do is you want to look at her, and if you look at her, she turns you to stone. It just ruins your whole night. <laughs> well, you know, she she turns you she she, she turns you to stone. She's only interested in one thing. She wants you hurt. <laughs> 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 oh man, that's what I, that's what I look for in a woman. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> so I think I think I had too much beer. <laughs> yeah, so actually speaking of that, I gotta keep grabbing another drink. Just a second. Oh dear me. Medusa said that Athena was jealous of her beauty. So Athena, I just looked it up. So Athena turned her into ugly. Yeah. So another another reason I brought that up is uh, I've been watching the new BBC series Atlantis, and Medusa appeared in tonight's episode. And the Medusa in in, in this new series Atlantis is the Medusa before she was turned into. Mm-hmm. So I should imagine going to see see her go go towards that. Uh, much like we've seen Morgana go evil in, in, in the TV series Mermaid. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know, that's what kind of brought it to mind. And also, it's just, um, I remember going to see Clash of the Titans at the cinema. It was one of the only films I'd seen with my late father. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just remember that whole scene where they're, where they're trying, trying to hunt her down and, and claim her head. I just remember being on the edge of my seat with my mouth wide open thinking, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think it was uh, actually Shreddy's had Clash of the Titan stickers in the series. This is like the days when you could actually get like little prizes in your boxes, like little toys and, and stuff in your boxes yep. of cereal. And uh, they had Clash of the Titan stickers in boxes of Shreddy's. And so, and I mean, I was, fascinated. I was fascinated by Greek mythology as a child anyway. So, like I said, I was, you know, lived in a household that was based around horror, science fiction, fantasy. Um, my dad's idea of babysitting was putting me in front of the TV, and I grew up thinking that Captain Kirk was my stepdad. So, um, Clash of the Titans, like, it, it just, it was all a part of, of my childhood. And I mean, I was, you know, I think I was fairly young, too, when, when Clash of the Titans came out. I mean, obviously, I was collecting stickers out of cereal, so it couldn't have been like, you know, I hope I wasn't like 14, 15. Cause it was 1980, I think. Was it 1980? It was, I think, yeah. or 79, something like that. It was 1980. Oh, yeah. It was so I was, was pretty young. <laughs> well, I, uh, I remember going to see it with my dad, and, you know, I'm rather fond of the movie now, and I've seen the remakes, so the remakes just, you know, they're all right, but nowhere near as good as the, uh, as the 1981. No, no, I, I agree. Well, and I think too, and when you're when you're a kid and you see stuff like that, it, it makes such an impression on you as a kid that anybody who tries to do a remake, it, it's going to be lacking in certain senses because you know it, it takes away from that childhood memory. Yeah, and I mean, with, with, I think the remake said uh, Liam Neeson in it, and and uh, yeah, I, I, I seen them not too long ago, and they were they were they were like like you were saying, and they were good and everything, but they were all right, but they were nowhere near as, as good as the original. They, just the original, you know, like at one point when they didn't have all these special effects, CGI and everything, they really tried to uh, set a mood. I mean, I was watching the trailer today for, for Alien and that movie is just so, so, so moody. And they don't really try for that anymore because they don't have to. They can just go, you know, flash in the pan with, with uh, CGI. So. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that's something that's really missing from a lot of movies these days is they, they don't try and set the mood. Mm. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, a lot of movies that maybe have not done too well would probably do better if they, they, they made some sort of attempt to set some sort of kind of, some kind of mood. Yeah, try to try to do that first and, and then add to it later on. It's, instead of saying, look, you know, we don't really have to do this because we can do it in post-production. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, that was my uh, number three, Medusa. All right. Well, my number three is, uh, once again, when I already touched on it, was uh, It, 1990. Um, Pennywise. Um, the only the other thing I could really add on to that, I mean, because we already talked about it, is that, you know, some of the cast that it had in it, it had, uh, obviously, you know, I said uh, Tim Curry. Uh, uh, Jonathan Brandis, which he, I, I do believe he committed suicide. I think he did, yeah. Um, which is kind of sad. Uh, I mean, was wasn't Jonathan Brandis in Sequest DSP? Yes, he was, and he was in another uh, movie called Lady Bugs. I think it was, which was like a soccer movie or something. Like that. He was he was in a bunch of things as a kid growing up. Um, it then uh, it also had uh, Seth Green, um, Harry Anderson that was in from Night Court, John Ritter. Actually, not everybody yeah. should know who John Ritter is, and uh, Richard Thomas. Richard Thomas. Yeah, John Boy. Yeah, from the Waltons. 
I actually seen him in a film the other day. Um, you know, not seen him in anything for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, he, he, you know, it's kind of funny because in, in the 90s, he, he didn't really look any different from John Boy. No, he didn't, no. Not, not in the 80s, but he, he's, he's put on a bit of weight now. He's kind of looking a bit older now. Oh, yeah. And it kind of threw me, and I thought, Jesus, I thought this guy was going to look young forever because <laughs> <laughs> the last film I seen him in was around about 1998, and um, he was still looking fairly young and, uh, you know, fairly good for his age. And then then, then cut to this film that I, that I saw, I'd seen a glimpse of him, him in recently, and saw like um, he, he's, he's, he's uh, put on a little bit of weight. Yeah. And I was being an out of it all, and um, in fact, that's going to be my number two, John Boy from the Waldens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right on. So, so yeah, that's basically all I could I could say about it because you know we already talked about it, and it basically you know it had an all star cast. There's there's a few other people that I'm not remembering off the top of my head that was in that movie, but. But yeah, um, and like what we said before, first part good, second part disappointment. So yeah, so it number three for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, we're back to Linda and number two. Number two. Well, since this is turning into my Clive Barker list, <laughs> um, my number two isn't. There's there's a group of monsters. Um, one monster in particular that stood out to me in this movie, um, but the group as a whole was. Um, Babette and the creatures of Midian in Nightbreed. Who's buried in Midian? Ain't nothing but dead folk somewhere <laughs> hidden from sight. Closer than you might think is a place that's not on any map. Midian. Something's breathing there. It looks a lot like hell. But they call it home. There goes the neighborhood. They're not pretty. They're not neighborly. You'll come back now, you hear? They're not even human. But this time, they're the good guys. From the imagination of Clive Barker comes Nightbreed. You can't go down there! They have only one enemy. A beast called man, sworn to destroy the Nightbreed. Sounds like we're going head-to-head with the devil himself. And only one chance. A man called Moon. It's time to fight! So we got their arms. So much. Out of your deepest fears and your darkest fantasies, Clive Barker brings you a startling new breed of adventure. I won't let you down. Nightbreed. At last, the night has a hero. Outstanding. And I know I sound like a broken record because I am such a Clive Barker fan. Uh, but here you've got this, and and, it, and it's again it, it grips to the to the reader or to the watcher of either the book or the movie, however what, whatever genre you choose to you know to use. Um, this group of monsters is just trying to exist without being 
tortured by mankind, which, you know, we, we can certainly relate to as human beings because that's what we do. You know, we, we pick apart what we don't know and, and we torture what we don't know and sometimes we torture what we do know. Um, and um, but that bat of all the creatures is this tiny little girl who just wants to go out and play and then gets basically you know fried by the sun and the sun turns her you know she's this normal looking little girl but then when she gets caught in the sun she turns into this monstrous little kitty cat <laughs> type creature and you know her mother is in the shadows begging the girl um, you know bring her to me, bring her to me. And then when she gets into the shadows, of course, then she transforms back, you know, and, and, you know, the, the line I do believe is like, you know, she likes to play. Mm. And, and here is this, like I said, this, it, it makes you feel so sorry for the creature rather than the human side. Yeah. And plus that, that movie was, um, the one that was released wasn't the one that, that uh, Clive Barker wanted to release. Mm. And apparently they there was another version that they released that was closer to his version. And some of it survived or something or somebody got some of the scenes and they redone a version that's pretty close to what he wanted, which they called the, what the, the something version. The Cabal. Cabal version, yes. They call it the, the Cabal version. And it's not every scene that he wanted, but it's it's closer to what he wanted because apparently they, the, you know, the movie movie studio wanted one wanted to be one way and they advertised it as that and he wanted it to be another way so mm-hmm. anyways so anyways creatures of medium that's my number two Ooh, uh, my number two um kind of plays on a you know quite real childhood fears when you think about it but my number two is chucky from child's night everyone has a birthday they'll always remember This is Andy's. Time for bed, Andy. Can I take it? Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. There's nothing nice about murder. And there's nothing innocent. About child's play. I personally think the the notion of uh, of your toys coming alive mm-hmm. that alone is quite scary. But the notion of a toy coming alive and trying to kill you and your parents too, and anyone that gets in its way, takes it to a whole different level. And that very first child's play film was, you know, although it's not really, you know, quite scary really in in, in many ways. You know, if you if you um, you know if you take takes you know, take a step back and think about it. It's quite scary that the, the notion of you know a toy doll, you know, picking up a big kitchen knife or a meat cleaver and trying to kill you. Yeah, if you take the comedic side out of it. Yeah, and the, the first the first one wasn't comedic. The first one was, was played 
straight out. I, I seen it in the theater yeah. when, it, when it first came out, and yeah, it was it was pretty scary. It was a scary movie. It was made in 1988, even. Wow, 1988. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't actually see it until around about 1989, 1990. Um, but it was quite, quite a good movie. Um, Maybe it was Brad Dorf or something like that. I think it probably was Brad Dorf. Um, I'm just trying to find find out because um, Brad Dorf, um, you know, a bit of a specialty. But for mm-hmm. Brad, yeah, it was Brad Dorf. Uh, Play Charles Lee Ray and Chucky. You're right, it's yep. Brad Dorf. Yeah, because he was he was a killer that. Um that was trying to escape or something and then he got into this doll factory or doll store or something like that and he was into voodoo so he, he transferred his, his body into the to the doll in hopes that eventually he would try to transfer into something else and I think he was trying to get his get his soul into the boy mm-hmm. that's right yeah, but, so, yeah that's, my, uh, that's my number two he's Chucky okay well my number two is this is going to be a strange one but um, I don't know who's doing it but whoever's doing the, the voiceover for your intro Ian he scares the shit out me. <laughs> <laughs> he seriously scares the shit out of me every time I hear it. Here's Ian M. Cullen. <laughs> scares the living crap out of me. I mean, geez, every, every time I hear that, I, I, I can't get past that. You know, yeah, I, you know what, what I do is every time I hear that bit come on, I just go like this, just go... <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of blocks it out. <laughs> yeah, that guy's got some scary voice. I mean, it's just like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> seriously, is that your number two? I was just going to say the same thing. Seriously, that's your number two? No, my number two is actually the the puppets from Puppet Master movies. Okay. In a house of mysteries. This hotel seems to have quite a history, Mr. Gallagher. Who are you people? A research team with special powers. <laughs> Oh my God. She's experiencing the past because we are all joined by our thoughts. <laughs> Has uncovered an ancient secret. I have something I want to show you. <laughs> Metaphysically speaking, I killed myself. <laughs> but they are playing with an evil force. What would you do with the power? You can't save her, Alex. They have given life <laughs> to a deadly power. We're all in danger. And now, a box of little toys. I think someone's in the room, Frank. Has become a gang of little terrors. Pinhead. Blade. Ms. Leach. Jester. And Tunneler. Irene Miracle, Paul Lamatt, Barbara Crampton, and William Hickey as the Puppet Master. It's full moon. I love full moon movies. You pretty well can't go wrong. It's it's. I'll watch anything that says full moon on it. It's just to me, full moon mo- movies are fun. They just mean fun. I mean, they're they're cheesy. They're kind of crappy, but they're fun. You must have logo a giant ass. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, and they they had a couple of crossovers. I think there was one with the demonic toys, which is another kind of cool cheesy movie. And uh, yeah, 1989 Puppet Master. Uh, we're on to um, number one. Number one. One. <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, okay, 
So I'm actually surprised because, you know, I think it, it's great. We've done our top 10. We're at number one now. And uh, we've had some things that were the same. But for the most part, I mean, our top 10s were, were uh, you know, pretty diverse. And, and we didn't really touch on a lot of the stuff that was the same. But that's because I'm making up as I go along. I'm actually quite surprised that none of us have said this yet. So I'm wondering, if, you know, being the first to go, if, if number one is the same thing for all of us. Um, my number one is vampires. Do you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood. But not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. But what if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bed of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. And a daughter who would be forever young. Tom Cruise. Brad Pitt. Stephen Ray. Antonio Banderas. Kirsten Dunst and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. And from a woman's perspective, um, just because it has been romanticized over the years, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously, you know, the original story of Dracula is anything but romantic. Um, but books and Hollywood. Um, Vampire Diaries, Twilight series, um, but I think for, for for most people with vampires, um, the notion of being immortal, mm-hmm. because I think death is probably on the top list of fears for a lot of people. You know, nobody wants to die. Mm-hmm. Um, well, some people do probably, but um, you know, death scares a lot of people. So vampires represent this. You know, so we should hold the sun. Um, or, you know, get sprayed by holy water or however, you know, the different ways that they could die. But, um, you know, vampires are very romantic. And I mean, I think for me, it started with um, Lost Boys, Interview with Vampire. Not so much. I mean, I, I watched a little bit of Vampire Diaries. I didn't really get into the Twilight series. I've seen a little bit of it. And for me, I was, you know, I, I think for, for my age group, and I'm not going to tell you what that is, <laughs> but... Um, when they made silent films, <laughs> when they made silent films yeah. but but there is there's just this romanticism that comes with vampires mm-hmm. for for a lot of women, which you know is is why I think that you know it, it goes to my to my number one creature mm-hmm. monster. Yeah, I, I picked. I, I was going to go with vampires as well, um, but you know not because of the romantic side of it um, so much. Uh, but because, you know... Oh, come on! I, I just think it'd be really cool to be a vampire and be able to hypnotise someone and control someone. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that's kind of scary. Um, so, you know, because, because they, they can sort of control the weak-minded sort of thing. They can turn into bats and stuff like that. But 
as, as far as the romantic side thing, uh, for me, Anne Rice ruined vampires because she made them seem more human mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, you either love them or hate them that way. You know, and um, I, I preferred them when they were actually straight monsters, like uh, like Dracula. And, and you think about it, vampires are, are kind of like monsters. If you think about the mythology and think about the... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the whole Vladimir Payunga thing. Exactly. You know, yeah. he, you know, the real person that they based Dracula on was 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 a the human embodiment of a monster. You mm-hmm. know, if you, if you if you crossed him, he'd impale you, and he'd sort of like uh, leave you hanging there, leave your rotten corpse with a, with a spike through it hanging in his backyard, and he'd sit in his backyard and you know you know quite happily have lunch amongst all these uh, impaled corpses. I, I, I generally uh, I think vampires for, for that whole reason, and also all, all the few mythology that we got surrounding surrounding them in the, in the movies. And I think I think with things like Twilight, uh, you know, they've just diluted vampires. They've taken the uh, scare factor out of them because they've romanticised them too much. Well, it did, it did this whole nine zero two one zero version of it. That's that's a lot of movies do that now. Like they take a traditional story and they put it into the whole teeny bopper thing and have it like as if it's the whole you know nine zero two one zero kind of thing. With, yeah, but you know, from you know, my standpoint, I mean Antonio Banderas, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise. Yeah, you just not What's not to love about vampires there, right? You just that know was a good movie, though. You just like Antonio Banderas, because if yes, you I say do. his second name, very slowly, it, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, Banderas, you know? It's like a bare ass. Bare ass, yeah? Banderas. Antonio Banderas. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh you know interview with a vampire. I, I I like that movie. It was it was well written, well done. They did a, a part two. I think it was called Queen of the Damned or something like that. Uh, yeah, I did see that one. I don't think, I was not that impressed by that one. No, I didn't like that one too much either. I, I think the cast really really. It was a little bit of a letdown after. I mean, let's face it. Interview with vampire. I mean, Brad Pitt. Like, That's what I mean. Harris, the cast. The cast really Cruz, Christian Slater. Yeah. You know, you you had some really big ass names at, at, in that time, and and I know that there was. I mean, even Anne Rice herself was was horrified when Tom Cruise was cast as Lestat. And really, I mean, for Tom Cruise, that was nothing like he had ever done yeah, prior yeah. to that. And he, he did a commendable job. And Christian Slater wasn't supposed to be in that. It was supposed to be River Phoenix. River Phoenix, yeah. yeah Christian think, Slater stepped in when River, River Phoenix died. The thing <laughs> so. is, though, with Tom Cruise, is a guy can bloody act. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, he does so many action movies um, that, that, that it's all like uh, he does, does movies that where it's not really required to do that much acting but when he is required to do acting you know Born 4th of, of July as an example you know yeah. that guy can bloody act yeah oh yeah he's just a weirdo in real life and it <laughs> sort of carries over <laughs> no but um, I I, um, I kind of got turned off by interview of Vampire I've seen Queen of the Damned and the only good thing about Queen of the Damned um, was you know um, so like um, it's quite sad because she died young in an air crash but the only yeah. thing about Queen of Damned was um, a half naked Alea <laughs> you know as, yeah. as, as the queen vampire you know I, I just thought she was so hot as a vampire I thought that was cool yeah but you know that, that was about it um, and it was you know to be honest Queen of Damned it, it just wasn't 
it wasn't that good a movie. Um, even by yeah. you know, even if you sort of like take the connections one right away from it, it just didn't stand up as a good movie. And um, I think I think the guy that produced, you know, that that directed uh, Battlestar Galactica, the uh, remake, directed Queen and Damned. Oh, there you go. <laughs> kind of yeah, well, just in case anybody's wondering, there's no love loss here. I'm a, I'm a, a very diehard original Battlestar Galactica fan. So, if you wonder what I think about the remake, well, there, there you go. It's to me, and it's, it's like what you've said many a times on, on a lot of your episodes, Ian. That you know, it's a show that that's that was dark and gritty, and, and the original was a family oriented thing. Time. Yeah, and they and really. We need more family-oriented shows, as we far as I'm concerned. Do. We don't have any anymore. So we need stuff that's fun, not stuff that makes you want to go hang in a closet somewhere. Yeah, and I think <laughs> I think with the with, with the economy being what it is, and uh, there being so much, you know, fear at the moment, um, I, th- I think it's actually time that we actually have a few good family shows. You would think. I mean. It would, it would, you would think it would make sense to, to try to, you know, play up to everybody instead of just one market. But anyways, that's it's a different story. But Okay. So are we ready for my number one? Um, yeah. Okay. Because you guys' number one was vampires, so, but unfortunately my number one isn't vampires. My number one is Godzilla. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters. It's alive. A gigantic beast stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror. Raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, king of the monsters. Incredible titan of terror. Wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet planes cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? See Godzilla, king of the monsters. I love Godzilla movies. I mean, uh, the first one's 1954. Uh, Raymond Burr was in the 1956 version um, called Godzilla, King of Monsters, which was basically to play up to the American crowd. And you know something? He was in Godzilla as Steve Martin. That was his name, Steve Martin. Long before Steve, well, I, Steve Martin might have been alive, but, you know, Steve Martin at the time might have looked at it and said, hey, Mom, Dad, look at that. There's there's some freaky guy, you know, in a, in a, in a big creature movie with my name. <laughs> he returned later on in uh, Godzilla 1985. He put on a little weight, so basically he was probably the only actor to ever appear in a Godzilla movie that was bigger than Godzilla. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't go with Godzuki. Oh, jeez. Well, that, that was in the cartoon, wasn't it? Yep. Godzilla and Godzuki. <laughs> I used to watch that cartoon, actually. Yeah, and then, then, I mean, there was a low point in the Godzilla franchise when they, they introduced the whole son of Godzilla and everything. That was kind of terrible. And But, I mean, and I really, I haven't seen all of the movies, but I have them. So I do plan on sitting down sometime and doing a... A marathon. Yeah, I mean, are they cheesy? Are they crabby? Yeah, but but, but they're fun. Yeah, they're just fun movies. Yeah, so. especially while you're slowly getting drunk. Yeah, <laughs> they actually begin to make sense. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's a really kick-ass movie. So, did you want to do any honorable mentions? Um, I, I can't really think of one off the top of my head, um, other than you know, sort of maybe. Uh, 
what what was tempted to mention earlier was sort of like uh, some of the uh, Doctor Who monsters, uh, specifically not Dargix and Cybermen. You know, things such as the uh, Yeti and, and so forth, and Bigfoot. So do you have any honorable mentions there, Linda? Or? Well, I think uh, I might as well go back to my Clive Barker list, because Candyman was not on my list. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie. Candyman. That's a, that's a creepy, creepy, creepy movie. And But there again, you get into Candyman 2, and then you start feeling sympathy for the bad guy mm. because of the way he was treated and because of how he became the monster that he became mm-hmm. and so so yeah I'm in keeping with my Clive Parker theme and there again going back to what I said earlier the voice mm-hmm. some characters just have a voice that that in itself is enough to scare you and Tony Todd has I mean I could be in another room and if he comes across the screen and says anything you know it's Tony Todd so you mean you mean like the voice that brings the intro into uh, Ian's show <laughs> yeah, no not so much <laughs> yeah we're, 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 um, we 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 couldn't afford Tony Todd so we just hired uh, <laughs> yeah he was he was busy he was kind of on the can but he does he, he has an amazing voice he really does yeah, and, he also and that, that captivates you. He, yeah. he, he also played Worf's brother in Star Trek. <laughs> yes, 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 he did. yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he was also in Beastmaster Three, but unless we say about that, the better. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen it. I seen number two, but I didn't see number three. Yeah. Number number but. three's number three is really bad. I mean, number two was 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 fun. <laughs> but, uh, and he was in one of the Final Destination movies. He was was a Final Destination. Yeah, he was. He was in a lot of them. He was yeah. in first and second, I think, because he, he was uh, the Undertaker. The Undertaker, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's a good actor, you know. So mm. it's been, you know, I think he's a very underrated actor as well because all right, absolutely, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because he, he's only really known, you know, to, to genre fans, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I got I, I have a I have a few uh, honor, honorable mentions, so I'll, I'll just ramble them off, and then if we want to talk about any of this, that's fine. But um, 2004, Hellboy. Uh, 2001, Jeepers Creepers, The Creeper. Um, 1961, Linda mentioned it, Mothra, and from 1954, them, The Giant Ants. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly. Man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, would be extinct within a year. By direction of the President of the United States, stay in your homes, I repeat. Stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation. Because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible, so terrifying, so hideous. There is no word to describe them. You know, I think think those uh, inset movies um, where, where where you go back to them, you, you look at them, and and even back in the eighties where you looked at them, they were kind of silly, weren't they? But that said, it is a scary notion because um, you know if ants were actually bigger, if ants were actually uh, the same size as us, they'd be the dominant species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've got a spider in our shed right now, and, and our spider dominates the shed because neither of us will go in there. 
That's a big spider. It's a big spider. It's a river spider. Are you both yep. scared of spiders? I'm terrified. I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. So next time I will videotape you trying to take the lawnmower out of the shed and I'll put it on Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, with 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 a with a, with, with a great big rake trying to get the hold of the handle with the, <laughs> the lawnmower. But no, he's not scared of spiders. But I, I, river spiders are uh, in a league of their own. They're big here. They are huge. Yeah, they're fair size. Well, uh, I think I think our honourable mentions are sort of deviated. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Just a little bit. I think we better wrap up. Um, um, I'd like to thank uh, both uh, my friends Sean and Linda for joining me for the show. No uh, problem. That's the Thanks end. For of, us. That's the end of the Halloween special. We're all very drunk. <laughs> no, we're not. Okay, she's not. I am. <laughs> so, so that's it, and hopefully we'll be able to do another one uh, next Halloween. But we're going to run out of themes. Yeah, look forward to it. Oh, we'll think of something. Oh, sure. Look, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. Cool. Bye-bye. The dark side is always there, waiting for us to enter. Waiting to enter us. Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight.